Hello, and welcome back to another FACT Podcast. This is Dr. Fred Clary, founder of Functional Analysis Chiropractic Technique, a chiropractic technique based on movement and breathing. Well, in this episode, we have a super treat, a massive treat. We have an interview with Nathan Tractor Baptist. Um, Nathan has been an indoor and outdoor football star. Um, He's from Utah. He just recently, like Saturday, squatted 1,311 pounds in a competition. Um, I personally have seen him squat 1,223. I was the head judge at Relentless in Minnesota a couple years ago. And it was an amazing lift. Um, We had pretty strict side judges at the time. And uh, he handled it pretty well. And I told him he probably should have gone for the all-time 1276 that day. Um, And eventually he did get that within a year. And now uh, has done 1311. So we interview, we talk about his life in football. Uh, We talk about powerlifting. We get into his training um, philosophies. And this interview is one of my favorites as a tractor is is very much a uh, real guy, humble guy, um, no ego there, and just wants to work hard and do his best in powerlifting. Um, Hopefully we can get back to Relentless and I can see him more as uh, we do a charity work and raise money for um, the kids. Um, But without further ado, here's Tractor. We want to welcome uh, Nathan Tractor Baptist to the podcast. He recently, like this weekend, squatted 1,311 pounds. He's been in powerlifting since about 2006 in the junior ranks, has been slowly inching up on some major records. And we're talking just not world records, we're talking all-time records. I first met Tractor uh, a year, year and a half ago at Relentless, which is a charity powerlifting meet for Hope Kids, kids with like you know, life-threatening conditions. And he squatted 1223. I was the head judge recovering from a a torn rotator cuff. And, um, you know, he's very charismatic. He's very humble. And for someone with this God-awful strength, um, you know, playing with the kids that have disabilities and special needs, um, that, that that just serves my heart real well because that's where I live. So I want to welcome you, welcome you to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Fred. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. Yeah, why don't why don't you just give the listeners a little bio about yourself, where you live, how you started lifting? So I'm originally from California. I was born out in Carmichael back in '84. Uh, moved to Utah in about the fifth grade. My family is originally from here, so I've been here ever since. Um, got into lifting forever ago initially for football training. Um, I was a four-sport athlete in high school, played football, wrestled, track and field, and then I did freestyle and Greco in the summers. So I basically was just lifting weights just to stay in shape for all of that. And then once I got out, I started playing football on the men's rec league out here Mm. and stayed in the gym to just stay strong. Ended up playing eight seasons with the team out here and went 82 and two. Wow. Um, You know, we had a few national championships under our belt, left there, started playing uh, in the arena league. So you mentioned, I, I started in, in 06 as a junior. Um, that was right around the time before I got picked up to go play arena football. Okay. So I played four year in the arena two league. I played for the Wyoming Cavalry for three seasons. I played in two national championships with them, got back home, played two more years in the men's rec league, and then decided that football just wasn't any fun anymore and hung up my pads and reached out to one of my old powerlifting coaches and, you know, got back into it. And we initially, we're shooting for Donnie's record, uh, the 1265. And that was what I had circled on my can on my, on my board. And mm-hmm. that's where I wanted to go. And that was kind of all that mattered at the time. And little did I know I'm hitting 13. So, you know, you fast forward and here I am. So. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So did you get any looks from the NFL or did you play any division one football? So I, I never played college football. I came right wow. out of high school, played in the men's rec league. And then because of the rec league, I got picked up through the connections with that coach in Casper. Okay. Um, 
I've played three seasons for him. Um, I didn't have an agent. It wasn't something I was expecting to do is go far in football. So I was just blessed to play in the arena league and have fun, you know, playing. I mean, it was just, it was great. I, I played center and I would work full time here in Utah. And then I would travel for the games on Saturdays and then wow. drive back home on Sunday. So, yeah. So what did you do for work at that time? So I worked for uh, one of the local cities out here, one of the okay. counties out here. I was doing construction work for them. Okay. So I was concrete finishing, building oh my God. Uh, aluminum frame walls, that kind of stuff. So I'd work construction all week and then go play football on the weekends. So uh, let me get this. Let me get this clear <clears throat> that you you did construction all week. And on Saturdays, you played pro indoor ball. Yep. Yep. I got paid to play football. It was a rough life. <clears throat> wow. So what do you think about the arena league? I, I actually loved arena football. Uh, Minnesota had um, the Minnesota Pike and I was their Cairo for them. Um, the, oh, yeah. And they only had it for one year. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it was unsustainable. A lot of financial issues in there. And I really yeah. liked the game. It was quick. It was uh, fast. Um, you know, sometimes I would rather watch an indoor game than, you know, an outdoor game because the outdoor game is three and a half hours, 14 to seven, you know, it's like, and there's so many guys on the field, right? Oh like my God, arena yeah. league, there's, there's only what, seven, eight guys on the field. That's it Yeah. versus the 11. And so playing center in the arena league and then going back to that men's outdoor league, it was slow. Okay. Like that was the biggest thing I noticed is on the arena league, you're kind of on an Island right because yeah. everything's just head up right but you get out there and you get a full five man plus a tight end and now it's a scheme and it's just like you just pass guys off and just kind of hang out and wait in an area and it just it wasn't fun anymore so but i'm forever thankful i mean i i won what eight championships with the rhinos and then uh i played two more championships in that rec league with the utah stealth so you know 10 championships to my career in that rec league wasn't too bad no, that's that sounds fantastic. I mean, you know, you're you're hitting a lot of people. So, do you see the Arena League ever coming back? Um, I try to look for it on ESPN and sports, and I don't see I don't see AFL one or the AFL two at all anymore. I think it's there in some smaller markets. Okay, um, I know, like Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, had a team for a while. I know in the South, it's kind of big. Um, in fact, one of my friends played a few more seasons after I left, he played with one of the local teams down in, I want to say Georgia or Alabama somewhere, but yeah, I mean, I'd like to see indoor, indoor football make a comeback, but again, I think you've got guys that, and this is why you see some of these like smaller farm divisions fail. Like you had the, the UFL come out, yeah. um, that was backed by, was it the UFL? It was like Troy Palomalu and all those guys came out yeah. and backed this developmental football league and, I think you got guys that want two big contracts mm, okay. and there's not enough money coming in. Right. Like, okay. I, I think that's the problem. I think if guys use it as an opportunity to play and get a little bit more and just play for the love of the game, I think arena football would be a blast, but I think you start getting too many guys in there wanting too much money. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, I would love to see it come back. I would love to see it come back. Cause it's a, it's an amazing sport. I mean, and I think it works fans. in smaller markets, too, because, yeah. you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I mean, we are just holding on by our teeth to support the Minnesota Vikings. They're always threatening to leave. So, you know, we have to build them a new stadium with taxpayer mm-hmm. money. And I'm not complaining about that because, you know, with with the Vikings comes a lot of other economy, you know, small businesses, restaurants around the stadium, all that. We understand that. Um, but I'm from Baltimore originally. And I remember when the Baltimore Colts left to go to Indianapolis in 83, I was there. I cried. I was in you know high school and I'm like, oh my God, you know, Johnny Unitas and the Colts, they're never leaving. They left. And it took forever to get another team there. And I watched the economy, you know, just crash around that area, that area now um, where the old Memorial Stadium, the Baltimore Colts Stadium, Johnny Unitas was is a slump you know they had they basically put the raven stadium someplace else so i think you know you know when smaller towns can bring in these these afl teams these uh Mm -hmm. um these indoor teams i think it does fantastic um you know like you said the players 
they they, they got to realize they're not getting superstars. It's an opportunity to showcase their career. Maybe they can move to the bigger leagues, you know, but yeah. Um, and when I played, I played in Casper, Wyoming and okay. you know, it, it's, it's very small market. Like I think the whole town probably had, I don't know, a hundred thousand people between the three towns combined. Okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, we'd get a decent turnout every, every game and their 4th of July game was the biggest game. Like the entire town would shut down and they'd all show up at the arena Oh, and wow. then we'd play a game at home on 4th of July. And then nice. once the game was over, everybody would go out in the parking lot and the city would light off the fireworks for, you know, the 4th of July celebration. So that was big up there. And that was the thing to do in that town. There really wasn't much else. There was a, a, a farm baseball team called the Casper Ghost, but that was really it as far as like next level sports, because the local college there only had basketball and maybe volleyball, but there wasn't anything like football or anything else like that. So that was the next level sports for those in the area. So, yeah, I think you're right. Like those real small markets, I think they do well. It's just, you have to get the players and the coaches to understand that this is the revenue that you could potentially earn. And this is what we have to pay players out with. And this is the operation costs. So what was the stadium like in that, in that market? Was it 5,000, 10? I think it was a 10,000 stadium. And we usually filled about 6,000 people. It was usually about half full, a little over half. That's Um, good money. Yeah. So we, we played a championship game at home and we sold it out. So it was, wow. Yeah. So it was, it was crazy, right? Like, and, and that small market, but the thing is, is the community in those smaller markets really rally around those types of teams. Yeah. You know, they're not used to seeing players that come from Clemson, you know, these big name division one colleges. Right. And they come to little old Casper to play football and they're just in shock. Like, I mean, everybody in Casper has a heart of gold and, you know, markets like that are where I think that arena football style would thrive, would thrive. Oh, wow. Wow. So you, uh, you did some outdoor football, some indoor football, you getting, you've uh, won all these rec championships and then you decide to start lifting again. So, so walk <laughs> us through that. How did that go? So <laughs> we were actually getting ready to go play a championship game in the rec league and trying to get guys to show up on time and be committed and be organized was, was kind of like trying to herd cats in a rainstorm. So we, uh, I just got tired of it. Um, the lack of commitment to it. So I left football and I took about a year off from doing anything. Oh, wow. And yeah, my old powerlifting coach was actually hosting a meet and he called me to come help spot and load. Okay. So I showed up and him and I got to talking. He's like, you know, you're always welcome why don't you come lift and just see where it takes you? So that's how I got back into it. And I competed my first meet back. I competed raw and put up like a 1700 pound total and did a 771 raw squat in wraps and just went from there. And then after that, I started investing money into powerlifting gear. Cause if you're going to do it, you might as well go big. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That's true. Plus, I mean, you look at a lot of the raw lifters, right? Like not a lot of the raw guys are around for a long time. No, no, I, you you don't see a lot of masters raw lifters. No, there are no masters raw lifters there. It's very (laughs) rare. I mean, we have a couple on our team, but that's only because they started later in life, you know? Yeah. Start, Start the career later. But, you know, with my torn shoulder and herniated disc in the back, I'm like, I mean, I, I at least am going to put on briefs or a single ply shirt just for protection. I'm old. I'm in my fifties, you know, (laughs) you know, well, and that, you know, that was one thing that my coach really preaches. Like, if you want to go along in this career, you've got to get in gear. Yeah. And he always says the brightest flame burns quickest and you know, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So we literally would put together like a year training block at a time and say, okay, we're going to do these two meets. And that's all we're doing this year. And then the next year we'll do these two meets and that's all we're doing this year. Cause you know, to do multiple meets in a year to try to peak like that, you really can only peak four times out of the year and really get decent training cycles in if you think about it. Right. Yeah. So to kind of give myself some more longevity, we only did two meets a year and we might throw in like a bench only meet just for shits and giggles. Okay. Okay. So so when did you realize that, uh, you know, you have a shot at, at, at really uh, shaking the world when it comes to powerlifting? 
when did that when did you get that realization i honestly i don't think i've actually come to that realization because <laughs> i mean think about it right like i did a 1300 pound squat and a 2600 pound total yeah i mean to me that's not good enough okay. right to me that's I, I did a 700 pound bench press and a 650 deadlift by the time i got to the deadlift all i wanted to do was take a nap like i was exhausted <laughs> And so it's like, I know that I have so much more to do and yeah, like I, I don't think I've shaked the world in powerlifting. I never thought I would be at this point where I held the all-time squat record and legitimately like had a shot, not once, but twice, mm-hmm. you know, I thought, oh, 1265 is just something to shoot for. And then I hit 1223 at Relentless when you were there and you and I had a conversation of. You, you you actually came up to me and told me you're like uh I think you should have went 1278 <laughs> you know you told me that so I was like well okay like I it didn't ever think that I'd have that within my reach to be that close yeah. and then you know 1223 at Relentless and then the next year I come out and we compete that following February and do 1278 yep and then because of coronavirus and everything else going on this year like we just did that one meet the first of February and then we came back to this one and I literally, I did 1250 on my second attempt. And I looked at my coach and I was like, that felt like a house. Like it was heavy and I felt like it moved slow. And he goes, it's 1250 pounds. Of course, it's going to feel like a house. He goes, but it moved fine. Go for it. He goes, you okay. got spotters that are here. Just go for it. So, you know, we went for it and the rest is kind of where it is. That's great. I've been accused of being the uh, the secret behind the scenes powerlifting whisperer i was at uh wpo <laughs> coaching a couple people at uh the wpo and uh hoff had just uh done his opener deadlift and he's trying to figure out what what he need to do and i just walked by and I go 815 because apparently I, i'm like rain man i calculate i can calculate gloss brenner in my head so right yeah it, i'm kind of freaky that way and i go 815 that'll give you 3100 815 and he goes, should I do it? And I go, 8.15. And they just loaded it because, like, all his, all his like, uh, you know, coaches and handlers are trying to figure out what to go. And I'm like, 8.15. Just take it on your second yeah. and be done. You know, right. of course, he got it and got 3,100. And But I, I've done that at many meets, walked up to a few people and said, look, <laughs> this is what you need. So they call me the yeah. shot caller now. So Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll give you that title. That works. <laughs> So, so let's talk about your, your training up for that. Uh, give an example of what your training cycle looks like for the listeners. You know, I think the heaviest squat I took in training was my opener. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I try to move my opener as fast as possible, right? Okay. So on max effort days, we'll go 90 to 95%, right? Okay. I don't necessarily go full tilt, 100, 105%, because okay. I want to try to move that weight as absolutely fast as I possibly can. Okay. And because the way I view it, and it's what Louis has said that kind of stuck with me is you can't move big weight slow. No. And so if I'm constantly training at 90 to 95%, even 85 in there sometimes, just depending on how the day goes, um, you know, and I don't keep track of anything. Like we get in the gym and my coach, we don't track what I did with this variation at this time because your best is going to change, right? Mm -hmm. You may not have gotten all your meals in that day. You may have slept like crap the night before your shoulders might be bugging you, you know? So we don't track it. We just focus on moving the weight as fast as possible on a max effort day. And then we really focus on keeping technique and moving weight fast on our dynamic days. And we kind of follow that training split of max effort and dynamic effort. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. That, so, so what does it look like? Do you, is your training cycle like 12 weeks, 16 weeks, or, you know, how does that look? We usually do a 12 week training cycle. Okay. Um, we usually do um, our heaviest lifts about four to five weeks out. Okay. Okay. And then start kind of, you know, easing things off, but um coach is probably gonna get mad at me for giving that away but oh, that's all right you gotta get it's a podcast you, you can blame me saying look it's an interview. right yeah. i'm trying to get some no so out. yeah but that's it right like we yeah. we just focus on trying to move the weight as fast as possible um because we know as soon as it slows down 
it's a grind. And yeah. how long do you want to be under a big weight, especially something like 12 or 13? You know, you don't want to be underneath there all day because one, it's not safe for you and it's not safe for the spotters around you. Yeah. So we really just focus on good technique and, and form and, and just trying to move that weight as fast as possible in our max effort days. Okay. So, so what kind of equipment do you use? Do you, you know, do you use a, a, a phenom? You know I mean, I'm just trying to think of all your equipment. I think I remember seeing you in a canvas lace up is what I think I saw. Yep. Yep. I'm in a Leviathan ultra pro. Okay. Uh, the biggest one they make, which is probably still too small. Cause I'm way too fat. Um, <laughs> what are you weighing now? Five bills? Uh, what? Well, when you saw me at relentless, um, the first year I was there, I was about 520. Oh. And then I, I dipped down to about 490. And I, I weighed in uh, just recently. I think I stuck on the bathroom scale this morning at like 498. Okay. 499, something like that. So I'm still right around there. I've been this size for about four to five years now. Um, my body comp, I feel like changes. I go in and get DEXA scans done um, here local. And I add muscle and lose fat, but my body weight stays the same. It's okay. It's silly. But yeah, I'm in, I'm in a pair of double ply Inzer Predator briefs, grid stitch that I've had for, I don't know, four or five years. They're the original briefs that I've had. Um, I'm in that Leviathan Ultra Pro. And then I just started using the dark side ironware surge wraps. Oh, wraps. Okay. I was in the Inzer wraps when you saw me at Relentless. Yeah. Um, but dark side and I had a dark side and I had a conversation and uh, I bought a pair of knee wraps from him and he's like, just tell me what you think. Give me honest feedback. And they've been great wraps. And then I'm in a super duper phenom for the bench okay. shirt. And then, uh, in a deadlift suit, I just wear an Inzer max DL single ply. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, let, let's go over just like, what do you think is the most important thing for like a newbie or an intermediate lifter to in training so like what's your philosophy that way what would you tell someone saying hey tractor i you know i want to i want to squat 600 pounds i'm stuck at 500 what do i need to do so people that are worried about that uh if they're if they hit a plateau right i tell them do something different okay um that's kind of the beautiful thing about conjugate is you're never doing the same thing right okay. it, it's principles and variety so if you've hit a three-week wave and you, you know, you, you do an eight week cycle and, and your, your squat doesn't go anywhere. It's like, okay, well, what's your body weight at? Has your body weight changed? Have you put on more muscle? Have you lightened the loads and maybe focused on better technique, but really focus on driving through and making that weight move faster in your lighter weights. Um, and then the other thing I, I laugh, the reason why I laughed is because I love this question is because everybody always asks like, what's your advice for a newbie? And my mm -hmm. advice is, is don't worry about a record. Oh, don't wow. worry about what everybody else in the world is doing because you're not competing against them. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. The, the thing that I tell everybody that's new is worry about yourself and okay. worry about getting better than you did last meet. That's the only thing that matters because eventually you start breaking your own records enough. You're breaking everybody else's around you. Well, and weird. so if you literally just put your blinders on and just worry about your training and worry about what you're doing, you know, that's what I've done. I, I haven't worried about the 1265, right? Like I wasn't worried about that. It was okay. I did 1223. What's my next jump, right? I did 1102. What's my next one? Okay. Well, it's 1125 or 1151 or you okay. know, 1175. And it was, I just worried about doing that, like just getting better than my last comp. And yeah, eventually you're going to plateau at the top level. Mm -hmm. Your body's only going to be able to do so much. But newbies, the biggest thing I always tell them is just worry about your own records. Don't worry about everybody else's. Oh, no, that's that's great advice. That's that's usually what I tell tell the newbies that uh, come to our team and help out and say, just worry, you know, work on your form, improve your form, improve your speed, improve your confidence. Don't worry about the number you're using because that will jump once you, all those mm -hmm. things line up. You know, you'll exactly. go from 200 to 300 to 400 and you'll be laughing. But, you know, getting to that first stage with good form is more important. Mm -hmm. Everybody that comes to the gym, coach gives them a wood pole in a box. Oh. And that's where they start. It doesn't matter if you've competed for two years, three years, whatever. You come in and he hands you a wood pole and you go sit on a box and we try to we break down your form and we try to get you to 
to see some of the errors that you that people may have, right? Newbies tend to to have their knees shift forward or yeah. their, their knees toe in, right? Or their upper back rounds. They, they don't collapse. stay chest up. Yeah. They don't pack their neck, right? Yeah. So you know, and you've if you've done that for two or three years, that's all you know. Yeah. And so when they come in, it's like, all right, well, let's break you down to the basics, and then we'll build you back up. And some people can't handle it. Some people come in yeah. and they're like, man, I've squatted six, 700 pounds. You're going to put, give me a wood pole in a box for two weeks, three weeks, yes. four weeks. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what I had to do when I came back. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so tractor, I was, uh, I set some records in the eighties when I was a teenager, I pulled 800 pounds in a deadlift and national champion as a teenager. And I took uh, like decades off to do life and kids and I came back and I started with this team here in Minneapolis and they blew up my form because it was stuck in the 1980s, bent over, good mornings, uh-huh. squat mornings. And they gave me a closet dowel. They gave me a freaking wood pole yep. and had me start all over again. I'm like, I squat 700 pounds. No, <laughs> which was the best thing that I could ever do. Cause there's no way as old as I am now, I'd be destroyed, you know? Yeah if I did that. And you're right. A lot of, a lot of even youngsters, luckily I was older. So I I had some patience and knew to shut up, you know, and just Uh learn Um, coachable. A lot of these newbies aren't coachable. You know, we have a, like a revolving door, you know, some people come through and say, okay, grab the bar. Well, I want to put this way. No, you're doing the bar. And when you do the bar, great. We'll put a plate on, but you're not ready for a plate. You know, right. You got to graduate. Yeah, exactly. It's the Gerber grow up plan, bud. You got to, you got to do it one step at a time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk about your gym. Where's your gym. Let's talk about your team a little bit and your coach. Let's, let's, uh, let's dive into that. Okay. So our gym is in Clearfield, Utah, where PSM barbell power, strength and muscle, um, you know, coach has been around since I think he started competing in 2000 mm-hmm. and he was taught under a gentleman named Dave Edmondson. He used to be the state chair out here in Utah for the Wobble Federation. Okay. Um, and then coach grew up through that. He's done APF nationals. You know, he was the first in Utah to squat over a thousand. Wow. He was the first to total over 21, 22, 23 and 2400 in Utah. Um, you know, we've now had four guys over a grand We've had now two over 11 and then myself now over 12 and over 13. So, um, you know, I I feel like we're the strongest gym in Utah, but we're a small club. Um, Coach likes to keep our group kind of nice and tight because he can give one-on-one attention to a lot of guys and he expects everyone to coach. So you, you can't, you can't just show up when you want to, right? (laughs) We all train at six 30 every night. No cell phones are allowed, no video taking, no nothing. That's why, you know, everybody that it's funny, right? People follow me on social media and all they see is a picture of my niece or my dogs or my barbecue, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't see any lifting because we just don't video it. It, You know, we do it on meat day. So yeah. And and his wife, Heather, um, you know, she's been competing just about as long. I think she was 2002. She did the cardio scene for the first two years at their gym and then decided that she wanted to come over and get strong. So she was one of the first females over 500 in Utah. Wow. Um, Yeah. So she's got a 1200 pound total for the women. Um, You know, we've had a lot of guys come through. I think we've had three guys bench over seven. Um, I've pulled over seven coach pulled right close to seven. We're not big deadlifters because usually when you hit a big squat and a decent bench, it's, you know, you're kind of tired by the deadlift. So time for a nap. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Coach has done an eight fifteen bench in full power after squatting over a thousand. So Yeah. So he's been around a long time and I'm, I'm blessed to have him. And, you know, I don't know that I would be where I'm at today without him. So it's been, it's been crazy. There's days that he wants to throw me out of the gym, but. <laughs> is, that, is that because, uh, yeah, you don't want to do what he says or, you know, you're, you're too much horseplay or what? No, well, part of it is, when I ask questions, right. I don't ask to be demeaning. I ask to seek understanding. Right. So we'll do a movement and I'm like, coach, why are we doing it this way? Because I said so, but coach, why are we doing it this way? Because I said so. And so that's kind of usually our arguments, right. Or yeah, it's stuff like that. And 
you know, being 500 pounds, sometimes when he pushes the pace in a workout, like I struggle because, yeah. you know, cardio is hard when you're fat. And yeah. um, just sometimes like that. And he's been on me about my weight. So that's I think that's one thing after we hit this squat now is that we're really going to focus on, you know, getting some of this weight off and getting down to a healthy body weight and still competing, but mainly making the focus more so about my overall health. Okay. And, and I battle with. Well, if I'm this strong, this size, if I lose weight, will I still be as strong? And I struggle with the answer in my head. I know is yes, yes. but you know what I mean? And everybody tells me that, yes, you will yeah. be stronger because you're not moving as much weight around and you can put more weight on the bar. But in my head, it's, it's a battle. It's like, well, but if I lose weight, I lose muscle and I can't do this. But no, I think this year is going to be more of a focus on my overall health. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I've watched Dave Hoff at like 280, 290, you know, throw the weights around that you're doing, you know, and it's yeah, just amazing, you know, so I, I've seen it at the WPO where, you know, they're throwing around 1,100, 1,200 pounds, benching eight, 900, 1,000, you know, mm -hmm. so it can be done, um, you know, again, just do it smart, you know, don't lose the weight quick. You know, do yeah, it no, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? I didn't no. get this strong in a day. So no. my, I, I have to switch my mentality to say, okay, this is a multi-year weight loss strength preservation program yeah. that is going to help me in my overall lifespan. So I know, I know everybody keeps telling me I got to lose weight and I think I'm finally starting to realize it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually, uh, we were talking today because it's squat night. They're actually still going. I ran home to do this interview and uh, we were talking about you a little bit. So your ears must have been buzzing. And I said, well, he's going to be the first guy to hit 1,400. He'll probably weigh 390, 400 when he does it. And uh, Well, you're the shot caller, so I'm we'll see what caller. happens. I'm telling you, you're going to hit 1,400. You're, you're going you're to feel healthier and the gear is going to fit better. And, yeah. you know, and you'll be able to train a little harder. So it'll happen, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we'll see. And if if that, if, if the oracle has said it, it's going to happen. I, I have seen that. You know, you haven't been wrong in the past. So. Oh, I haven't been wrong for thirty years when it comes to powerlifting. I've I've <laughs> called people left and right. I I go back to the days in the eighties and nineties where you know we we would we would chip people just so we could beat someone because my lifters would be like a pound lighter than the other one in the division. So I said, you uh -huh. just got to do the same total when you win. Um, we actually did that in 2018, um, for one of our lifters, one of our female lifters won the world championship and I made her competition cry. So, oh, geez. So, so I'm in the back, I'm in the back overhearing and she's like, I think I can pour, pull 450. And, um, you know, that's, that's my max. I can pull 450. And, uh, I went up and I said, no matter what it says on the screen, Kelly, don't worry about it. Cause I'm messing yeah. with someone. So Kelly opened up with 350. Her max was 401. And I go, <laughs> and in the second attempt, you know, I'd said, you know, you got to pull, you know, 390. She pulled 390. This other person pulled like 430. And then I jumped her to 450. The interesting thing is though, the rule is you can change your deadlift attempt like twice. So uh -huh. I watched them jump up to like 450 and I'm like, she's not going to get it. She's having to meet the whole entire time. Yeah. And then I jumped her down to 401. I changed it, <laughs> you know, immediately I said, get her ready. Well, the bar is only at 390. Get her ready now. Cause I'm going to change your attempt. And I yeah. dropped it to 401 and the other person didn't get 450 and she cried. Oh my God. You can drop the weight, you know, as long as it doesn't go below where the bar is. Right. Right. So, you know, that, I, I go back to where before we in the 80s, we had like index cards and you had to calculate it in your head. And, you know, things were really close. So those were those were fun years. It's good. To, it's fun to do that stuff. You know, you know, my coach does the same thing. Okay. He, uh, he's one of the guys that's gone five times elite. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know many people that have done that. One of the in fact, the meet where he asked me to come spot and load. He was going up for, I want to say his second or third deadlift attempt. And all of a sudden, one of our teammates is like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and what it was is coach had made a big jump just enough to get the elite mark yeah. before our teammate could get his elite so that he could say he was the first guy to five times elite in Utah. So 
I mean, he, yeah, it's that old game, right? But it's chess, right? Like yeah, you, it is chess. You put big openers in, and then you watch everybody else go increase their opener, and then right before the flight starts, you just walk over to the table and say, "Hey, you want to drop that back down to what I know I'm going to open with?" <laughs> <laughs> I've I've done that several times and watched people bomb. Um, one of the best attempts. I was still a teenager. In 1986, I was competing against Ma Marty Grolinger. He writes a lot of stuff for, and he's got a podcast. Wrote the, he was uh, Kirk Kowalski's coach back in oh, okay. the 90s. And um, I'm competing against him in the 242s. And I'm like, oh, here's this world champion, Marty Grolinger. And I said, I'm going to fuck with him. So <laughs> I'm in the warm up room, and he's good for like a 700 pound deadlift. And I, I, that is my max, right? but he's got yeah. me on bench and, and uh, squat already. So I put 700 pounds on and turned my back to him and yanked it. I put it down. And he goes, Jesus Christ, what are you opening with? 750. I'll pull 800. He runs up to the table and raises his opener. I go back to the table and drop mine to 600. <laughs> <laughs> he bombed out on deadlifts. <laughs> that's funny. But like, that's the game, right? Like, right. I don't think a lot of people understand like, those are the types of games that you can play in this sport. Yeah. You know, but that's, again, it's for the guys that have been in it a while that, that know what they're doing. Yeah. It, that's it, funny. <laughs> that, that's, that is kind of funny because people are like, Oh, I didn't know the rule. That's the rule. You know, right. I can change that opener up until the weight. I mean, I've yep. changed openers several times, you know, either raise them or lower them, you know, just to get people to, to get a little crazy, you know? So, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a head game with people. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and I've also been known to take someone's belt too and hide it, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's the, I don't know that you can hide there. mine. Mine's almost six and oh, a half yeah. feet long. So I don't know that you can hide mine anywhere. That's, funny. that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. So, so what are your future meets tractor? What, what are you thinking about in the future? Um, like this year, my heart is set on relentless, but I, I know it probably won't happen. Yeah, I don't think so. And that's the hard part, right? Like you with this whole pandemic thing going on. So right now I don't have anything on the books for the rest of the year. Okay. Like I don't have anything slated um, right now. So I, I don't know. We may find something later on in the year. There was talk of maybe a meet in California. Um, but yeah, I don't, as far as right now, I don't have anything planned. Okay. Okay. So, so what does your training look like um, when you don't have a meet plan? Do you just run cycles, 12 weeks, take a break, 12 weeks, take a break, like a lot of groups do? No. Um, like right now, we'll go back into a lot of high volume. Okay. Fast pace, kind of get the blood flow going, kind of bring the lungs back. Um, and then it'll morph into, um, you know, heavy heavy dynamic or heavy effort day and then a, a dynamic effort day um you know we'll change bars bands I, really it's just whatever coach has planned right okay like I, I i literally just show up to the gym and turn my brain off like it's been like that for seven years i walk into okay. the gym and i just shut my brain off but there's days when he wants to fight me is when it's like hey why are we doing it this way um but yeah literally i just walk in and he has it all programmed out in his head and we just go in and get a workout done and, and he, he pays close attention to what areas may be lacking and what, okay. um, you know, like if he sees guys in the bench that are failing to block out, we may spend more time on triceps okay. in the next couple of weeks. Right. Um, if he notices guys are struggling in the bottom, we may focus on more upper back work, stay tight, you know, okay. um, you know, if we're slow off the box, we'll work on some speed stuff off the box. Um, you know, if we're not locking things out at the top with a deadlift, you know, we'll focus some time there. So it's really just up to coach. Like I, that's one thing I've been able to just kind of like come in and shut my brain off and, and really leave my training in his hands. So it's okay. really whatever, whatever the wizard has planned for me. Oh, cool. Cool. So here's, here's a question. Who are your heroes in lifting and other sports? Like who would you look up to right now today? So I've always looked up to Donnie. Okay. Um, okay. When I got into the sport, he was a super heavyweight you know, he was the dominant guy when I, when I got in and, you know, I was, I was looking at, and, I, and since then I've been able to talk to Donnie, right? Like he okay. called me after I first squatted over 12 and he called and congratulated me and said, Hey, welcome to a rarefied club. You're the 12th person to ever squat over 1200 pounds. Wow. 
Yeah. And then when I hit 1278, when I hit the all-time record, he called me again. He said, hey, congratulations. He says, you're the best in the world right now. And whatever is said on the internet, don't worry about it because it doesn't matter. He goes, think about this. He goes, you're 1% of the 1% that lift weights. Yeah. He goes, so in the grand scheme of things, nobody cares. Yeah. And I, and that's kind of what I've taken to heart. Um, so Donnie was one that I looked up to, especially in powerlifting. Um, Hoff, obviously, I've met him a few times. Okay. Um, you know, he and I have chatted back and forth about barbecue and a few other things that weren't even related to lifting. Um, let's see. And then outside of, of sport or outside of powerlifting and football, um, Jeff Saturday was an Indianapolis Colt for a long time. Yep. He was one of my favorite centers. He played for the Packers for a while. I'm a Packer fan. So that was great. Um, Reggie White back in the days, he was actually one of the reasons why I became a Packer fan. You know, oh, I actually wow. watched him swat rip somebody and the guy fell over and I was like, yep, that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of great athletes out there that, give back to the community that are just humble people that, you know, I, I tend to look up to and, you know, yeah. That, that's amazing. So how does it feel that now that people are talking about you in the gyms, in their power, in their barbell clubs, just like tonight, we were talking about, you know, Nathan Baptist is what in his squats. I mean, how does that make you feel? I'm just a dude from Utah, man. Like I never, that's it. Right. Like I never expected to have this kind of attention or anything like that. Like, you know, I don't lift because I want to be on a pedestal, right. I don't lift okay. because I want to be viewed as, as, as that, right. Like I, I literally got into the gym because it was like, all right, powerlifting gave me something to train for. Cause just going to the gym for me forever ago to try to get in shape was like, this is boring. Right. I didn't have anything motivating me to go. It's like, yeah, I'm going to have six pack. That's great. Yeah. I'm never going to have a six pack. Let's be real. Um, so when I got back into, you know, got into lifting, it gave me something to train for. It gave me a goal. And again, back to that newbie piece of advice is I just worried about my own records and, and here I am. And I, I never expected to be, you know, talked about on the internet. It's actually weird that like people take time out of their day to, to trash me on the internet. And I'm like, you don't even know me. Like, you don't even know who I am. Like, you just want to trash me. Like, I, I, all right. You know, if you're, if your day is that slow, I guess have something to say about me. But <laughs> I actually I'm just a dude in Utah, some man. people today because of you. Really? Yeah. I, I think your dad put the video up. So I just shared yeah. it on my thing. And yeah. some of my friends just blew it yeah. up. Well, you should do this. And this wasn't, I'm like, stop. I've actually judged him before. And if he got, if the judges say that and they're like, well, you don't know. And I'm like, dude, I've been setting <laughs> records since the 19 effing eighties. You know, I'm like, you're a world judge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, the, and again, I, I call them keyboard jockeys. You know, these are people that have like, you know, SpongeBob legs and, you know, gas yeah. hose arms. And, you know, they're, you know, their whole idea of, a, of, of strength training is planet fitness. So, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like it, you've never had heavy weight on your back, period. And if I looked at your squat stance, you, you couldn't squat either. So, right. This is new to me that, you know, people would trash people. I'm, I know Hoff got hammered for his uh, first time he did 1276. I was physically there. Um, I think that was in 2018 in Florida. I yeah. competed in the meet and my wife was in the WPO competing. Yeah. And I was there 10 feet away from the side. I watched him go below parallel and they're like, Oh, you don't know. I'm like, excuse me. I was flipping there, you know? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, as big as I am, I'm in a black suit on a yep. black backdrop. Right. Like I get it. And everybody's like, well, look at this and look at that and look at this and look at that. And it's like, I get it. Right. But I picked the weight. I went down with it. My handler called me up. That's all I can do. Yeah, that's it. Right. After that, it's in the hands of the judges and it's their split second view of the world at where I'm at. Right. Yeah. And I got one red light and one white light from the sides. 
It's all and you need. When I talked to the judge that gave me the the red, they were like, "Oh, you were a half an inch to a quarter inch too high." Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, no wonder why I got it on the other side because you got a short if, leg or something. <laughs> well, my right knee's been screwed up for a there year you and a half. You yeah. know, and I I haven't got it looked at. I haven't got it fixed. There's chunks in there floating around. So. You know, you actually watch me pick the weight and I actually shift from left to right. Because, I saw that. Yep. Because my left leg is my dominant leg. Even when I played football as a center, I would always kick step with my right foot and push off with my left. So my left is just okay. bigger and stronger. Okay. Yeah. So, I, but yeah. And it, it, it's amazing how people would take their time and say something. And I have questions about this. I'm like, oh, that's all good. You know, but the thing is, have you ever seen a 500-pound man lift, and have you ever judged someone that big? And the answer is no. Right. Um, I know. I, I mean, outside uh, of Jeff Lewis, that was it. Yeah, that was it. And I said, you know, the the rule is the knee, not the top of the thigh. You know, right? His, right. His thigh is bigger than your chest. So my thighs are 36 and 37 inches around. Oh my god. <laughs> so it's literally like taking two humans and bending them over at the <laughs> oh no i love that i love that yeah, yeah it just it and, and again it's it's hard to explain to someone like that it's like you know if he was sitting down in a chair and you looked at his knees and thighs you couldn't tell because he's so big you know yeah. but um yeah. you know when you're when you live in a supranormative world that's what i call it you know, where like you or me are not afraid of like locked doors. We just would go through them, you know? It's right, like, right. Yeah. Right. You know, the average person, they're looking for their key. And I'm like, ah, I'll just bust through it. I mean, you know, we have a different view of reality, you know? Right. And um, it's it's hard for now that powerlifting is more popular. And we'll talk about that yeah. for a minute. It's more popular. You have all these crossover crossfitters and people that, you know, I was in a meet and I raw squatted 315 and I'm like, oh my God, my wife squats twice that. And she weighs a buck 40, you know, <laughs> and you know, she's a grandma, you know, right, grandparent, right. you know, so it, it's interesting that they become an expert. Um, so let's talk about federations as we finish up here. You know, you, okay. you've been in USPA and UPA and I heard you mm -hmm. mention APF. I mean, yep. what do you think about all these different federations in, in that mess? You know, it, it's funny because it's like you have all these different federations and it's like, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home, right? Yes. I didn't yeah. like this rule, so I'm going to go yeah. create another Fed. Yeah. I didn't like this rule, so I'm going to go create this Fed, right? It all boils down to the same basic things, right? It's the hip crease below the knee, yep. pause the bench, lock it out, stand erect with the deadlift, right? Yep. You boil it all down to that simple stuff. The rest of it's just kind of fluff. Like in the USPA, you can only use a two and a half meter knee wrap versus in the UPA, you can use a three meter knee wrap. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but a three meter knee wrap is still too short for my big leg, <laughs> but we use a three meter knee wrap, right? So in the two and a half, it's like, okay, who put the tourniquets on? I can't feel my toes, right? You get two revolutions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a band-aid at that point. You know what I mean? It's not, it's nothing. So it's it's interesting. I mean, I'd like to see more, more of them come together, right? Kind of, I guess, put their swords down and say, hey, this okay. is what it is. But it's up to the lifter if you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. It's where you put your dollar. Where okay. where you choose to compete is the power of the dollar. If nobody competed in the APF or if nobody competed in the UPA or if nobody competed in the USPA, obviously those federations aren't going to be around very long, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's what federation do you feel like aligns with you and spend your dollar there, right? And eventually, I think we'll see some of these other federations kind of fall away. But in the grand scheme of things, you have things like open powerlifting that keep track of all the all-time records, right? So you can see where you rank. And I don't necessarily know that they don't, they'll tell you what federation it was, but that doesn't impact your ranking. No, it doesn't. So if you think about it, right, like, do you really need this many federations if the only thing you're chasing is is that open powerlifting record list so you know do you, does it start to consolidate under two or three that have all consistent rules but 
maybe they they take it over by region, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe on the West Coast, it's USPA. And in the Midwest, it's the UPA. And on the East Coast, maybe it's the APF or the IPA. Um, but literally, you're all trying to, to compete on the open powerlifting list. And it's funny, too, because you see those same guys on the internet that talk trash mm-hmm. are the same ones that are filtering everything they can in open powerlifting to try to get themselves somewhere in the ranking, right? I'm a open, I'm a master's 242. Some 37. <laughs> in, in 2018, that did bench only one time and I was ranked top four, right? And it just gives, it just gives people something to brag about, right? Because we all want to feel like we're important. We all want to have that self-fulfillment of we're something special. And some of us just want to go out and just lift and have fun and compete. Yeah. I, you know, do I care that I'm number one? on the all-time list a little right but i know my work's not done mm-hmm. and i'm gonna walk into the gym on monday and coach is gonna be like so now what <laughs> that's a good coach that's a good yeah coach. and it's you know that's what it is it's like nobody cares right like yeah. again back to donnie's thing you're one percent of the one percent nobody cares nobody cares. what are you gonna do about it now right yeah so yeah you celebrate it a little bit and you have fun that saturday night and you know you go back to the gym in a week and you go back to work. So, well, I, I look forward to you doing the, the 1400 and, you know, I, and 390, right. 380, uh, 390, (laughs) you're going to lose some weight. The gear's going to fit better. Um, we're talking Johnny Enzer into making you some custom made stuff so you can do it. (laughs) You know, actually what's funny, right. Is like, I called because my briefs are so stretched out. I finally called and ordered me some triple plies and, I was teasing the poor girl that was helping me. I'm like, all right, these are the measurements that I need because I don't fit your size chart. Your size chart only goes up to like 350 in body weight. I'm way heavier than that. So bless the poor girl, you know, she's like, okay, this measurement, this measurement. No, no, no. You got those backwards. It's got to be the other way. No, this is me. Right. She's like, okay, well, expect your delivery in the next year. And I'm like, oh, all right. They, they have to call the fabricator and get more material. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's like it's it, the, the production chief. There's probably like, all right, cancel the rest of the appointments. I got to put two, two seamstresses on this. It's, uh, it's a large order. It's, it's one pair of briefs, but it's a large order. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just cool. ordered new triple plies. They actually got here Friday before the meet. And I was actually half tempted to put them on. But then I was like, nah, we're not going to change anything. So. Oh, wow. No, that's great. Yeah. So what size do you wear? Um, when I took the measurement, she goes, you're a 58 in the briefs, but then around the midsection, I'm like 62 to 63 inches around like the belly button. Okay. So like, yeah, we'll just add a little more to the midsection. And then I order them a little taller because like normally they come and they just barely clear my belly button. Okay. And I wear my belt kind of high. So I got to squat down your butt cracks hanging out and it's just a terrible thing if you're a teammate. Yeah. So I order them like three or four inches taller. So that way, you know, it keeps all the, the chub in. So I don't have to worry about <laughs> spilling out. <laughs> Your teammates. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. And they're actually going to be thankful because um, I usually don't wash my gear very Ooh. often. Okay. Yeah. So it gets a little rough. So these new briefs, they're kind of looking forward to watching the old ones burn. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a bonfire after a barbecue, you know, and say goodbye. to Pretty them. much. Yeah. Yeah. And see, and the thing is like, at that meet that I just did on Saturday, like I, I have a big barbecue pit that I can pull up to the meet. And so I actually got there at like five o'clock in the morning and started my barbecue pit. And we feed everybody after the meets. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I did three briskets and three pork butts and, you know, we did a big potluck. We fed everybody. So, you know, it was, it's a pretty big to do when we host a meet. So, well, I think, I think that's great too. Uh, you know, you're kind of implying a, about our community, but you know, when I went to Fargo Saturday to judge the, the battle of the North, everyone's cheering for everyone. Mm-hmm. Even competitors in the same weight class are cheering for their, you know, hey, get that lift. Yeah, if you get that lift, yep. you beat me, but I'm going to cheer for you. You know, right. we're right. all hanging out, eating, you know, playing with each other's children as they're running around and helping out. Uh-huh. I mean, you don't see that in too many sports. You You don't, you really don't. Right. Like I would never in my football career have gone and hung out with the other team and cheered them on. 
Yeah. When their offense was on the field, right? You just don't do that. Yeah. So one thing I love about the powerlifting community is it really is about everybody just building each other up and getting stronger. Yeah. And, you know, we all come together because here's the thing. If you're going to get that lift and you're going to beat me, guess what it's going to do? What now it puts me in a position of the bench where I've really got to turn it up. Yeah. Right. Or it's, it's going to put me in a position of the deadlift to really turn it up. Or if you beat me at the end of the meet, now it's like, okay, well, now I have something else to train for, right? It just yeah. feeds that kind of fire in the community. And we all know that as long, all boats rise, right? Like if we're all lifting each other up, we all get better. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a blast these last seven years to compete. And that's one thing that I love about powerlifting is, like you said, it's it's everybody wants everybody to get better. So I've, I've been in meets where, you know, because, you know, I, I have a, a bigger belly, but nothing compared to your massiveness. <laughs> but uh like i'll see my competitors like lever belt break and i have an old-fashioned prom and i'm like here use this and i'll yeah. be putting him in the belt before his uh -huh. lift and he's trying to beat me you don't see that in any other sport no no you don't no. you don't and and that's the that's the thing about this sport is it's like what can i help you with right yes. oh i forgot i forgot long socks so i had exactly. an extra pair in my bag right exactly oh, my, my knee wrap tore blew off right I, I forgot my knee wraps at home we'll have an extra pair here use these right yes because you you know what it's like to go through a 12-week training cycle and just get piss pounded for 12 weeks going into a comp to get there and have something like that derail you I mean it's terrible yes so you wouldn't want that to happen to you you would hope somebody would step in and a lot of people in the powerlifting community are like hey I've got extra here you go yeah yeah I um I had something happen to me amazingly um, before the 2018 Worlds, um, our 18-year-old now, she would have been 16 then, went outside to start our little car, um, the BMW that had my gear bag in it. And this is four weeks before the Worlds. Well, she started it, didn't lock it. And we live in the city, St. Paul. And, you know, we're getting ready. It was cold. I walk out there. I go, where's the car? Did you move it? Oh, no. Got stolen. Did you not? Oh. And I didn't care about the BMW being stolen. I was more upset. My gear bag's in there and I got to meet, right? <laughs> You're funny. I mean, I'm being out. serious. So <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, oh my God, I am not. I, there's no way I can get all that equipment in four weeks. Right. Nope. Well, I called a buddy of mine, Greg Demanga. You know, he's, he's a big time lifter. He goes, come down and we'll see what we yep. have. And his team, because I was a bigger guy on my team, you know, so we, I found a, sh you know, a shirt that would work. They gave me a belt. I mean, I had, I had like seven different people's stuff in my bag. Mm -hmm. Now, when I Looking flew like down there, showing up on meet day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I flew down there and then we found our car and they had the gear bag in there. They opened oh. it up and didn't steal anything. I mean, they like, what the hell is this? You know, some crack guys <laughs> like, I don't can't sell this shit probably smelled right. like an ammonia and probably smelled like their gear bag. They're like, shit, I better run. So, you know, uh, she, she, uh, she, my wife brought it down with her and I could use my own equipment, but I, I, up to that point, I, I has always been like powerlifting is amazing. We help, but I had my stuff stolen and the community rose up and said, okay, let's find stuff mm -hmm. for Fred to get down there. That's crazy. You yeah. know? Yeah. Even up there. What other sport would do that? Yeah, not too many. They're like no. good riddance, Fred. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. less less competition. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been great. Thank you for uh, you know doing this so late. I appreciate it. Um, let's finish off with this. Uh, you know, is there anyone you want to shout out and thank? Any family members, your coach, anyone like that? So I do, right? I want to thank my girlfriend. She's been with me for the last six years. Um, she has nursed wounds. She has delivered ibuprofen. She has fixed meals. She has, um, you know, made sure I've pretty much had everything I need leading into comps, after comps, making sure everything's taken care of. Um, I couldn't do this without my coach and all my teammates at PSM. Um, in fact, I want to give a shout out to my teammate, Brandon. He actually, you met him at Relentless. He was the one that went uh, one or three for nine at that last Relentless oh, we were okay. at. Okay. He was our 308er. He actually hit 11.02 at this last comp. So wow. he's he's another one that's on the rise, man. And, and I just want to give him a big shout out. Let him know how proud I am of him. And we have two new girls that came out and they did phenomenal this last weekend. Um, 
you know, really, I just want to give shout out to my team and my, my coach, Heather and his wife. I mean, we couldn't do it without them. So, you know, obviously my mom and dad for all their love and support, um, you know, just everybody that supported me over the years and just kind of looked at me and said, you want to do what? That what? And then, you know, here I am squatting 13 and they're like, you are, I can see why you've been dedicated because, you know, this sport, you miss things, right? You miss birthdays, you miss yep, anniversaries, you, do. you miss, you know, I mean, we've trained on Christmas, you know, mm -hmm. we've trained funerals. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter. We're just like, I don't understand why you're so dedicated until you get to this point. And they're like, oh, well, it makes sense. This is why. This is why. Yeah. So well, everybody marry that girl soon. That. I tell you what, man, like I keep getting, I'm waiting to like wake up with like a ring drawn on my forehead and a ring size. I'm pretty sure that's coming here soon. So I'm calling the shot right now. He's put up with you for six years, man. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's already made it through the hard part, right? Yeah. Like, they say the first it's four easy years now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now we're good. So. But oh, no, thank crazy. you for having me on. I really do appreciate it. It's good to see you again. You know, I All usually right. only see you at Relentless. So. But it's, it's good to finally see you again and, and have this conversation. Oh, that's great. All right. You have a great night. Thank you. Take care, Fred. It's good to see you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.